Find the life you didn't think was possible with the Jesus you never knew. Together, let's slow down a little and pay better attention to the most significant person in history. Welcome to the podcast, Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus, with your host, Rick Lawrence, brought to you by Lifetree. Visit us at JesusCenteredLife.com. Hi, listeners. This is Season 6, Episode 25. My name is Rick. I'm author of the just-released new book, The Suicide Solution. Actually, I'm the co-author of the book because Dr. Daniel Daniel Amina and I wrote this book together. Daniel is a psychiatrist, uh, the clinical uh, uh, director for Amen Clinics, based out of California, but all over the country in different locations. And uh, the book, um, The Suicide Solution, um, is a sort of an in-your-face title, I know. It's, it's the kind of thing, I was, I was at a hotel not too long ago in California as we were um, going through the uh, orientation process, dropping our daughter off at college. And I was in the hotel lobby sitting um, in a chair early in the morning and I had an early copy of the book with me and I was uh, looking through it and I realized that I almost unconsciously turned the book over when I was done with it and, and uh, turned the cover face down on the table. And it's because, well, if you have a book sitting next to you at a table in a lobby that says the suicide solution, people might stop to find out how you're doing. Uh, so I know it's, it's kind of an in-your-face title, but... But this has been a, something that's been percolating in me for a long time, for probably four years now or five years, because I live in an area of the country that has a very high suicide rate, one of the highest. And we live in a country in the United States that has the highest suicide rate in the Western world. Um, and it's an epidemic on top of a, a pandemic right now. Suicide, <clears throat> excuse me, is um, uh, the number two. Uh, killer for young people today, just behind uh, uh, accidents, um, accidental death. So if the trajectory continues in this way, suicide will soon become the number one killer of 18 to 24 year olds. Uh, It's just hard to fathom. And during the pandemic, the height of the pandemic, uh, fully one quarter of 18 to 24 year olds said that they had seriously considered suicide in the last month, a quarter. So suicide is an endemic in our society and epidemic in our society. And I've for a long time been sort of, I feel sort of empty around the normal responses to suicide in what feel like weak attempts at prevention. And uh, I think my passion for this grew out of really my love for Jesus, um, that Jesus came to bring life and abundant life. Well, how did he do that? How did Jesus bring life to people? Uh, even people who were on a path toward death, how did he bring life into their narrative? And so that started a journey for me that uh, led eventually to Dr. Daniel Amina and the two of us partnering on a book that is really uh, one part um clinical practice, cutting edge clinical practice around people who are, who are experiencing suicidality or depression or anxiety. And one part 
of the latest research, uh, broad research on, in, into lots of arenas that surround the issue of suicide and depression. And, and another part of it is weaving the story of Jesus and the brilliant way that he interacted with people to surface their darkness and plant redemption in their story. Uh, so all these three things fit together into a book that is kind of divided in two. The first half is, is laying the groundwork for not only the issue we're facing, but a framework for how to address it. And then the last almost two thirds of the book is like eight chapters that cover an array, a menu of opportunity in eight different arenas to bring whole life into your life um, in these eight different areas. Yeah, and in the parlance of the book, uh, these are intended to bring more brain health to you. So uh, the book is called The Suicide Solution. It's just out this last week. Um, I would encourage you to get it um, even if um, you are not yourself struggling with depression, anxiety, or suicidality, or even if you don't have someone in your life like that. One of our proposed taglines for the book that eventually didn't get chosen, but it was the idea of Daniel to, to have the tagline be a way to live. And that is exactly what the book is about. It's, it is a way to live that builds up a bulwark against a slide toward depression and anxiety. So it's, uh, it's available everywhere. And I will put the link to its Amazon page on our podcast page. You can go to paying ridiculous attention to jesus.com, find uh, season six, episode 25, or you can go to SoundCloud and look for, and just search for paying ridiculous attention to Jesus and look for again, season six, episode 25. I'll put the links to both of those um, on our, on our page. And you can check out the links there. I'll put a link to the suicide solution and also a link to a webinar that, uh, Daniel and I did together when I was out in California. It's a 45 minute webinar. It, it's a back and forth conversation between he and I, and it gives you a great overview of what we're trying to do in this book. So I'll put a link to that as well. So again, this is uh, episode 25, season six. This is the eighth and final episode in a series I'm, I've called The Harvest. So this is the last one we're going to do in this series. And then we're going to start kind of a, a new trajectory here. Uh, we're not going to be doing series anymore. We are simply going to pursue a target uh, that I call Jesus in the real world. So what we're going to do is explore issues that matter to us in the real world and how, how we can find Jesus in these topics and, and find Jesus speaking to these topics that, that are very real to us in our life and how to see these topics and issues and challenges in our everyday life through the lens of Jesus. So Jesus in the real world, will start that uh, the next week, and every episode will have a different surprising um, uh, sort of uh, different surprising approach to what it means to be in relationship with Jesus in the real world. So that starts next week. But this is the last eighth episode of The Harvest. Uh, just to, as a reminder, um, this is all about studying fruit. So fruit comes from a tree. Each tree produces a certain kind of fruit. We know that. Jesus has invited us to attach him like a branch to a tree. And when we do, we produce fruit after its own kind, after 
the 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 variety of fruit of that tree. And Jesus, of course, is no ordinary tree. He produces all kinds of varieties of fruit out of one tree. So, of course, when we're attached to him, we also produce many varieties of fruit. So we've been exploring each variety of fruit and sort of tracking it back to its source in the tree, who is Jesus. So I thought what we could do for this episode is start out by reading John 15, 1 through 5. This, by the way, it comes at, in a stretch of the Gospel of John where Jesus is, is turning. There's a turn in his narrative. He's now clearly turning toward the cross at this point. So up until this point, he has been building and preparing the foundation for his ministry. He's become more and more uh, overt in his ministry. And at this point, he knows the cross is coming. So he's starting to overtly prepare his disciples for what's about to come. And in John 15, uh, the primary thing he wants to communicate to his disciples as the cross is looming before him is what he says in John 15. So let's read, uh, if, if you have your Jesus-centered Bible handy and you're not driving, you could crack that open to uh, John 15, 1 through 11, and follow along. Uh, again, uh, the Jesus-centered Bible, for those of you who haven't heard me say this yet, I was the general editor of that Bible. It's about six years old now. And uh, it became inexplicably, almost impossibly, one of the most popular Bibles in the world. And uh, part of it is because the central focus of it is to connect you to Jesus no matter where you're reading. And, and uh, we, we introduced and created some special features that aren't in any other Bible that help you to do that throughout the Bible. So again, that's the Jesus-centered Bible. So if you have one of those and you want to crack it open to John 15, you're not driving, you follow along here, starting in verse one. I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, Will produce much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing i have to stop here right before i read in verse six do you notice how repetitive he is here he's trying to say look this is the priority this is important let me say it this way let me say it a little bit of a different way let me say it again in a little bit of a different way i want you to hear me continuing in verse six he says anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned, but if, but if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want, and it'll be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my disciples. That's an interesting thought, isn't it, too, that the evidence that you're disciples, you produce much fruit, and it simply means you're attached to me. Hey, if you're attached to me, life is going to come up through your branch and produce fruit. It's just no stopping it. Uh, that's what attachment to me means. And he says, this brings great glory to my father. I have loved you even as the father has loved me. So remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my father commandment, father's commandments and remain in his love. I've told you these things so that you'll be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. 
So let me just uh, point out a few things here. I'm just going to go back through this one more time just to point out some phrases. Verse four, remain in me. <clears throat> um, the last part of verse four, again, remain in me. Verse five, remain in me. And if you do, you'll produce much fruit. Uh, remain in me because apart from me, you can't do anything. Verse six, remain in me or else you'll be thrown away as a useless branch. Verse seven, remain in me. Let my words remain in you. Um, verse, let's see, um, nine, the end of verse nine, remain in my love. Verse 10, remain in my love. And again, toward the end of verse 10, remain in my love. There you go. And that, this is just 10, basically 10, 11 verses of, of John 15. And look at the number of times Jesus is repeating himself, reiterating this. He is trying to make a point. Whenever Jesus goes to this length to make a point, oh, it's, uh, it is an obvious, uh, you know, caution flag for us to slow down, slow way down, and pay attention to what he is trying to do here. Why is he repeating himself so much? So what does it mean, though, to remain in him? Doesn't that seem funny that in the botanical world, we know that a branch that's embedded in a, in a tree, the branch doesn't seem to have to remind itself to, to stay attached to the tree, right? It, the branch is just attached. Uh, in, in the framework that Jesus is talking about here, the, we are branches that have been severed from our previous source of life and now have been grafted into him. And Paul takes this same metaphor in Romans and describes what it's like to be grafted into the vine. Um, so our grafted branch is embedded in his tree. And because we're embedded in his tree, we get his life coming up through us. And that's what produces the fruit. So, so why does the branch have to remember to stay attached? What does remain in me mean? And so the first thing we know by this is that it's possible to not remain in him. It's possible to, to become detached from him, to, to not be embedded in him. So unlike uh, the metaphor he's using of a branch in a tree, it would be odd if the branch could suddenly decide, ah, you know what, I've had enough of this tree. <laughs> uh, but in the metaphor, the way that Jesus is using this metaphor, the important thing about the metaphor and the way he's using it is that life comes up into the dead branch, into the dying branch. That, that the life of the tree becomes the life of the branch. That's what he's really trying to focus on. And unlike in the real botanical world, that branch can detach. So what does it mean to be attached to someone? That when you hold their hand, when you hold someone's hand, does that mean you're attached to them? What, what makes us attached to each other? Um, and even take it a step further, what makes us intimately, permanently attached to anyone. Well, you can't have that conversation without talking about the heart, can you? Um, it's our heart that makes us deeply, permanently attached to each other. It's not uh, pragmatics. It's not equations or recipes or shoulds or commitments or duty or responsibility. Um, attachment, permanent attachment comes because something has happened to the heart the two have become one and the, the detachment is almost impossible 
at that point. So on this podcast, we focus, if you're a longtime listener, you know that we focus a lot on something I call attachment versus application. It's a big theme in my book, The Jesus-Centered Life, attachment versus application. The application part of this is the assumption that if we understand something and then apply it to our life, in quotes, that's a phrase you hear all the time in the church, isn't it? Apply it to your life. So the assumption is you understand something, you apply it to your life, you'll be transformed. But if you think about it, it's a subtly non-relational way of growing, which makes sense uh, because we're human beings, we're sheep, according to Jesus, and we prefer to pursue strategies and disciplines and habits that promise us a better life using a system of some kind, rather than the messy, mysterious, intangibles of an actual relationship with Jesus that may or may not give us what we think we want. So we want a way, a progression, a principle, a formula that will produce what we want. That's what we want. Um, And therefore, we uh, uh, subtly avert ourselves from relationship, from attachment, and instead, we gravitate toward application. We look for uh, ideas and principles and strategies that we can apply to our life and that the outcome of that application is will be transformed. Now, you hear this all the time in church, um, again, that you'll hear a pastor talk about applying these things to your life. And the thing that first sparked this journey in me toward um, a discovery journey of attachment versus application was thinking about how many times growing up in the church, I'd heard someone tell me um, something to apply to my life. And I realized that very rarely did I ever go home and just start applying that thing to my life. It sounded good in the moment. It sounded like a, a takeaway. It sounded like, well, that, there's some meat there. I can apply this to my life. But very rarely did I, or really anyone I knew, simply start applying all these things to their life. Um, they would just come back again the next Sunday and get a new set of applications, uh, and the rhythm would go on. Um, we kind of have a wink-wink relationship with apply it to our life. We hear it. We think, well, that's practical. And then nothing really happens in our life. Um, and that's because, again, this apply it to life philosophy is a non-relational way of growing. Jesus is saying over and over again, the way to grow is to remain in me. The way to grow is to remain in me. The way to grow is to remain in me. So that elevates the importance of us understanding what remain really means. So uh, if we get, um, uh, uh, we get tastes of things, we get tastes of things, like, uh, like, a, like if you tasted a decadent chocolate cake, for instance, we get a taste of that cake and we think, wow, that was so good. I want to make it the main course. So let's say that chocolate cake, that decadent chocolate cake is like money or success or power. And we think, wow, that, that, that little taste tasted good. I want more of that. If I had more money, success or power, I think that would give me what I want. I, that, that's the diet I need. And in that process, we, we tend to treat Jesus like an appetizer. Um, but Jesus will not settle for being an appetizer in our life because he knows we cannot live by chocolate cake alone. <laughs> he knows we need a real meal, and he is that meal. 
when he says, remain in me, it's similar to him saying, eat my body and drink my blood. He's saying, make me your main course. Do not make chocolate cake your main course. It will kill you in the end. He knows because he loves us that we need a good, solid meal. Um, he knows we'll die without a main course that can sustain us. So look at all the living things that are around you, you know, in, in the botanical world, insects, animals, other human beings. We see an obvious truth about attachment. Anything that's severed from its source of life is going to die. And anything that remains to its source of life or is, remains attached to that source of life will have life in it. It's as simple as that. That's how life works. In his commentary on the Gospel of John, the great contemporary theologian N.T. Wright says this. I love this. It's packed, even though it's short. The urgent question then is this. How do we remain in him? So N.T. Wright is saying, as he looks over the Gospel of John, the question that comes out of the Gospel, the entire Gospel, is this primary question, how do we remain in him? In a 1994 reflection on, the, on John 15, the leaders of the Tizay movement wrote this. I, I just was fascinated by this. I heard a friend of mine say this, and I said, oh, can you please send that to me? So this is the leaders of Tizay writing. They said, the essential thing for believers then is not to be concerned about results or to dream up ambitious projects, but simply to remain linked to Christ to remain in his love. Again, another uh, perspective on John that's saying, the main thing is the main thing here, remain. So nothing really here is disastrous in our life, except to be cut off from the source of our life, to cease living in communion with Jesus. This is the leaders of today continuing here. And the sign that we're living in this communion is the love we have for one another following Christ's example. Finally, here's one more from Vaughn Roberts, who's rector of uh, St. Ebby's Church in Oxford. Uh, here's, what, here's what Vaughn Roberts says. Jesus is not a decorative shrub, useful for giving an aesthetic religious life. I, I'm sorry, useful for giving an aesthetic religious touch to life. He is not available to be arranged in a bouquet to delight us. He is life itself, its very center, the vine. Let me read those last two sentences again. They're so good. He is not available to be arranged in a bouquet to delight us. He is life itself, its very center, the vine. So I think I've made my case here. It's good to focus on the most essential thing. The same essential thing Jesus practiced, modeled, and taught, abiding, remaining. So... Um, uh, I think in a, a past podcast, maybe it was a year or two ago, I played the audio for an iconic video that I've shown to thousands and thousands of people now. It's, it's called Grafting Fruit Trees, and it's a short three and a half minute video of two Australian master gardeners showing the grafting process. Uh, it's really the process of remaining or attaching. And... Um, that the story of this is it really comes out of my own realization that life is all about attachment. And Paul uses this metaphor of grafting. And I didn't, I realized I didn't really know what grafting looked like or how it worked. 
So Bev, my wife and I went to a nursery and asked a master gardener if they could show us how grafting works. And they said, oh yeah, we're grafting some fruit trees out back right now. So let me take you around there and I'll show you. So he took us around the back and there was a, 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 a whole grafting station and they showed us the whole process of how a, a branch gets grafted into a fruit tree. And, and at the end of that demonstration, my wife and I were in tears because we were, we were thinking metaphorically as we watched this, that this is what Jesus is asking us to do when he asked us to remain or abide. This is what he was talking about. And it was so profound. And so what you, what essentially what the video shows, and I'll put a link to this video too. So you can see that if you go to uh, season six, episode 25 on SoundCloud, you can take a look at that, this video yourself. Um, but essentially what you learn is that a graft uh, is taken from a low producing uh, sort of tree. You cut it off from its source of life in that tree, and then you cut off all of its leaves. Um, and then you shave the end of it uh, to prepare it for a graft. And then you go to the, uh, to the, the, the vine or the, or the, uh, the tree that you want to graft it into. And that tree is usually a well-producing uh, vigorous sort of fruit tree. So you want to graft the branch from the, the weak tree and graft it into a very vigorous and fast producing tree. And so the, the, the tree that uh, has, is going to have the branch uh, grafted into it um, has to also be prepared. It has to be uh, cut down the middle um, so that it's prepared to receive the branch. So you, you'll see the master gardener using a knife to cut down the middle of the stalk of the tree or the vine in this case, and then fitting the branch into that notch and then wrapping tape around that graft and then leaving it for months until the graft takes. And then eventually after four to six months, you take the tape off and the graft has solidified. The two have become one, the life of the stalk of the, the vine or the tree has, has flowed into that branch and the two have become one. So uh, this grafting process is a process of intimacy. Uh, it's a process of like what I just said, two becoming one, where the life flows through them equally, producing fruit that is bigger, tastier, and is produced much quicker and if the branch had been left to its own previous source of life. So what do you notice about this? Well, what you notice about it is that, the, first of all, the branch has to be cut off from its current source of life. And so if you're the branch personified, that's going to feel like a death. Uh, think about this. Jesus said, you must lose your life to find your life. You must be cut off from the source of life that you're, or the the source of life that you treat as your life right now, you have to be cut off from that in order to be reattached to a true source of life. So that's the first step. And then in the grafting process, your, your leaves, if you're that branch, your leaves have to be cut off as well. And, and in metaphorically, that means all of the fruit that you currently have, the things that you have sort of staked your identity on, those have to be put in perspective as well. You have to lose a sense that those things are what you are as well, that 
You need those things to be, to maintain your identity as well. Well, all those things are cut off as well. Um, so now where does that leave you naked and alone and needy and desperate exactly where Jesus needs us so that we're well prepared to graft ourselves into him. We have to give up our, um, our propensity to perpetuate our own life, to give way to receiving his life. So what then makes it possible for the branch to remain in that vine or that tree? Well, the tape makes it possible. What, so what tapes our attachment to Jesus in real life? Well, that can come from community, from being in community with others who are encouraging attachment them. It can come in listening to this podcast, for instance. Uh, people have told me when they've read my books that are about attachment, that there are prompts to remember to remain, to abide. Uh, I try to elevate that as a theme, but of course, there's lots of people who are elevating that same theme to remaining attached to Jesus. They're not offering a new list of tips and techniques or recipes for better living. They're encouraging us to remain in him. So all of those things can function as tape as well. Um, what, what keeps us attached, you know, um, so it's our relationships. It's the, it's the things we are quote unquote feeding on whatever they are. That's, that's why I'm a big fan of the TV series, the chosen. It's a great way to expose ourselves to tape the tape, the tape, meaning it, it solidifies our attachment to Jesus. And that, that series, because of the way it portrays Jesus makes me feel closer to him after I've watched it makes me feel hungrier for him, more curious about him, more uh, impressed by him, uh, more grateful for him. Um, that's what that series helps me to do after I've watched it. So it's helping me be, be stay more attached. Uh, other tape that can tape the graft would be, you know, um, the, the traditional, almost cliched things of reading the Bible, you know, reminding ourselves of the story of God, reminding ourselves of who Jesus is and slowing down to pay better attention to him as we read about him. Um, the tape can come in many forms. It's anything that solidifies our attachment to Jesus is, is like tape. Um, and uh, the, there might be some things in your own life that you recognize right now have helped to tape, tape your graft. Now, those things could be as difficult as going through a relational hardship of some kind, or a, a medical crisis, or uh, a struggle against something like depression that drives you closer to him, makes you more dependent on him. Uh, it could have been a tape on your graft, could have even been an addiction that exposed how weak you, you have been and how much you need his strength, it, so much so that you're motivated to tell others of your weakness. And be more honest with Jesus about how you need him. Even that can serve as tape uh, for the graft, the thing that, that prompts us, to keeps us remaining and abiding in him. I want us to look back at uh, John 15 again, that 1 through 11 portion. And then uh, I'm going to raise some questions to wrestle with in this. So let's go back to John 15, 1 through 11. I am the true grapevine. And my father is the gardener. 
he cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they'll produce even more. You've already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. Remain in me, and I'll remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful. Let me say that again. You cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. It's going to happen, people. If we remain in him, fruit will happen. For apart from me, you can do what? You can do nothing. That's the other message he's trying to get across. Hey, live your own life, attach to your own sources of life, but you won't be able to do anything, relatively speaking, if that's where you remain. Uh, you, you have to be attached to a source of life who is me. In verse six, anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it'll be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my disciples, my true disciples. This brings great glory to my father. I have loved you even as the father's loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I've told you these things so that you'll be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Now, I'm just going to skip around in here and um, pursue some things that I think are fascinating in this little stretch. Um, so uh, when he says in verse 8, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples, and this brings great glory to my Father. What he's really saying here is not a big should. Hey, you should be producing more fruit because to prove that you're my disciple. No, he's just stating a botanical truth here. He's saying that if a weak branch is grafted into a life-giving, vigorous, fruit-producing vine or tree, it is going to produce fruit and a lot of it. And because you can see a lot of it, it's evidence that you're actually attached to him. And if you're actually attached to him, you're his true disciple. I mean, to be a disciple of Jesus, I mean, you can condense it down to this, is to simply be truly attached to him. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to be deeply attached to him. And he says, when this happens, when others see the fruit that's produced in your life, it brings a lot of glory to his father because glory means it shows people where the source of life comes from. It comes from he, Jesus is saying, my father, this, this fruit, this source of, of vigorous life really emanates from the Trinity. And when it shows up in your life, it brings glory to him because everyone can see, look at the life being produced there. So um, we can back up again and ask ourselves, um, uh, you know, well, what, what does Jesus really mean when he says, remain in my love? Uh, what does he really mean? Um, and what does that look like to remain? Well, he does indicate, um, I guess, a, a standard for this. Um, so uh, let's read that standard. Um, in, in the back part of verse 9 into verse 10, he says, remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my father's commandments and remain in his love. Let me point this out here. Typically, when we think about what he's saying here, 
uh, we think he's saying, try harder to obey my commandments. But no, what he's really saying is just a different version of what he just said before that about fruit. He's saying, if you're attached to me, you're going to produce fruit. That's just what's going to happen. And here he's saying, if you're attached to me, you're going to obey my commandments. That's the proof that you're remaining in my love because I naturally obey my father's commandments because I'm remaining in his love. Um, so if we stay and abide in Jesus, if we hunker down in him, if we plant our roots in him, if we say our real source of life is Jesus, not these other things in our life, I can lose all those other things, but I can't lose him because he's the one that brings me life. And I can't generate life on my own. I need his life. I, I'm not going to pump myself up with arrogance and say that I've got this. No, I'm going to say I don't got this. And the only way I do got this is when I'm planted in the heart of Jesus, in the soil of Jesus. That's how I get my life. And here, what Jesus is saying is, if you do that, you're naturally going to obey his commandments because his life and his truth and the kingdom of God is going to be flowing through you. And you will live out the kingdom of God because it's flowing up into your life. You will obey his commandments, not because you're trying harder, but because that's the fruit of remaining in him. So um, that that's, I, I think that's a, a, a different way of thinking about why Jesus brings up this whole idea of obeying his commandments. It's not because he wants us to try harder to live, live by the rules better. He's simply telling us the truth about what happens when we abide in him or reign in him. So again, why, why does Jesus obey his father's commandments? Because he loves his father. He's deeply attached to him. The two are one. And then the last question here, here is, well, how and why does remaining in his love fill us with joy? Well, when your life is producing fruit left and right, and that fruit is so vigorous and tasty and large and, and continuously coming that others can pluck that fruit off and be nourished by it, there is no greater joy in life than to feel like your life is producing fruit that is nourishing for others. There's nothing that compares to that. This is what we were made for, to live in such a way that as we move through life, others are nourished by our presence because there's fruit there for them to eat. When that happens, we are living in joy. This is the deepest kind of joy we can experience. So how can we remain in his love in all aspects of our life? Let me just give you a few thoughts in closing to think about. When we're busy or engaged in life, we can acknowledge what we're feeling or thinking and invite Jesus into it. So I, I do this every day. I, 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 this is going to sound funny how I do this, but maybe it'll resonate with you. But um, here's several ways that, that, that this is true in my life. I must say two dozen times a day, Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus, have mercy on me. The reason I say this is because I'm facing a challenge or a struggle or I'm, um, I'm sad about something or I've had a grief or um, a pain or a hurt or an opportunity that is wonderful, but I'm intimidated by it. Um, I'm just aware of my own weakness and need. And so instead of just letting that be in the background of my life, I bring it into the foreground and I say, Jesus, have mercy on me. I just whisper it under my breath. Jesus, have mercy on me. Sometimes I will say that under my breath for a minute or two, as just as I'm walking through my life, Jesus, have mercy on me. 
Jesus, have mercy on me. It's not a spell or an incantation. It's a recognition that I need attachment. So it's a way for me to reattach myself to remain in him. Or I might ask something like, um, in the midst of a struggle or a decision, Jesus, what do I need to know right now? Jesus, what do I need to know right now? I ask him for his perspective on my life story um, when I'm struggling with something. Or Jesus, what's the right thing? I say this all the time too. You know, we face decisions every day about what, what, what we should do. And instead of just wrestling through that, I'll stop and say, Jesus, what's the right thing here? And wait. Um, so this is a way to, to remain or stay abiding in Jesus in the midst of your busy and engaged day. But there might be a time when you can set aside to be quiet and alone, when you can slow down and pay better attention to him. If, if you have a time like that, I just encourage you to listen instead of talk in your prayer time. Ask questions, listen, ask for direction. My favorite way, longtime listeners know this, uh, I like to play a thing called Psalmorama, where I ask Jesus for a number between one and 150. And then when a number flashes into my head, then I ask for a second number, a verse number. And then uh, let's say, you know, it's 138.4 is what flashes into my head. Then I go to Psalm 138 and look at verse four. And I, with, a, with an attitude of receptivity, I say, Jesus, is this for me? Um, and sometimes I have to read the context around it, or maybe I'm going to read all of Psalm 138. And I just listen with an expectancy that Jesus is wanting to speak to me through this. And then I receive whatever feels like it sticks out. Um, and I receive that from him. Well, it's just a playful way for me to pay better attention to him and to listen instead of talk. So we can mull over things with him and invite his closeness in that quiet time instead of, instead of focusing ourselves on, on uh, coverage or making our way through that section of scripture. What if our goal was simply to settle down and slow down and immerse ourselves in him? to invite his closeness. And then when we're relating to others, we can also remember our dependence on him. Um, when we are talking to others, we can, instead of just, you know, um, simply saying whatever comes to us, instead we can be in an attitude of receptivity as we're talking to others. Jesus, show me what to say. Jesus, show me what to say. Jesus, show me what, what's most important right now. Uh, Jesus, well, what should I be silent about right now? And we're simply inviting him into that interaction. And if we're going to pray for someone else, that we first ask him how to pray before we pray. We don't just brainstorm our prayer for someone. We ask first, pause first in silence and wait for his guidance and direction. And then we pray. It's just another way that we remain in him. So, um, let me just close by praying for you now in that way. So I'm just going to ask Jesus um, how to pray for someone who's listening right now. And then I'll speak out whatever that is. And if it resonates for you, great. If it doesn't, then guess what? It was for someone else. So here we go. Here's how we'll close off. Jesus, I don't want to hear my voice. And enemy of God, I don't want to hear yours. So I take authority over your voice and tell you to be silent. And my own voice, you be silent too. Jesus, I just want to hear you right now. So would you give me a sense of how to pray for someone who's listening to this right now? And I'll pause and wait for you.
Okay. So this is for someone listening right now. Jesus wants you to know that your life is being plowed up right now. I saw this image of a plow uh, digging into the earth and, and pushing out these clods of dirt on either side of the furrow. And, and if you are that field, how painful that would feel to have the plow going through your soil as, as your soil, your stable soil is piled up on either side of the furrow. What a painful thing. How could this be good? Jesus wants you to know that what follows the plow are seeds. He's only using the plow in your field so that he can open you up and plant new seeds. And he intends to grow a harvest out of your field. That's what he wants you to know. Yes, that in the, the start of this, the plowing is painful, but there is a harvest coming. He's going to scatter seeds in those furrows and cover them over again so that a crop can grow up and produce a harvest. Thank you, Jesus, for that image. And thank you for whoever you intended that for, that they would receive it now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, gang, uh, that's it for this episode. We'll see you again uh, for episode 26. I apologize that these episodes are kind of a couple of weeks apart now, and sometimes they're not all posted on the same day. My life is you know, fuller than ever now that I've, I'm about a year into being executive director of Vibrant Faith. Um, I have a lot of learning curves in my life. So I've had fewer margins in my life um, to be able to pull this off. So, but I'm committed to keep recording these. So they'll, they'll come for now about every other week with the hope that in the future, I can get back to a weekly basis on this. So for now, uh, about every two weeks is, is, is about when these are going to be posted. So thanks for your patience with me. Again, this is season six, episode 25 of Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus. It's a podcast from ricklawrence.com. You can get this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from, from uh, uh, Google Play or iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and we will see you again next time.